Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and Genesis 1, verse 26 through chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Then God said, Let us make humans in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. On the sixth day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Catherine, and good morning. I'm Becca, I'm the other co-pastor here. Glad to be with you today. Last Sunday, if you were here with us, you know that we introduced our vision statement, our new vision statement for Knox. It goes like this. Loving sacrificially, serving generously, and seeking Jesus together to see God's kingdom come in the Naperville area and beyond. That is the vision that God has laid on our hearts for our church for the next several years, and we're very excited to see how it unfolds. Our vision is that we would see God's kingdom come. But that begs the question, what does God's kingdom look like? I, the thing that came to mind for me this week is a children's book I was read as a child that I have read to my kids, perhaps you know it, the, the one called Are You My Mother? Do you know this one? In this book, uh, I don't think it's a, the genre of Dr. Seuss-ish, though I don't think it's him, uh, but in the book, a baby bird is hatched from its egg in the nest while the mother is off doing something else. And poor little baby bird falls out of the nest. 
Well, this baby bird hasn't ever seen its mother, and so it goes searching. And from creature to creature, from you know a duck to a dog to a bulldozer and everything in between, the baby bird has the same question. Are you my mother? Are you my mother? Until finally, spoiler alert, the baby bird does find its way home to its mother. But I was thinking of this book this week uh, as Dave and I had a, a coffee date with a couple that I had never met before and I didn't know if he had. And we go to this coffee shop up in Glen Ellen, have never been there. And I realize, I'm like, it's a very crowded coffee shop. I have no idea what these people look like. And so I have visions of myself being like this baby bird just going from table to table. Are you our coffee date? Are you our coffee? Fortunately, Dave did know what they looked like, and we were able to find them relatively quickly with uh, much less embarrassment than that would have mounted to. But point being, if you want to find something, helpful to know ahead of time what it looks like. If you want to see something, you want to know what it is you are looking for. We are saying that we want to see God's kingdom come in the Naperville area and beyond. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, would we know it if we saw it? Do we know, when we say we're looking for God's kingdom, do we know what it is that we are looking for? So, to that end, for this coming year, we're going to seek to better understand, better embrace as a community what God's kingdom is all about. And this first series, these first five weeks that we have together, are going to take kind of just a broad biblical overview. We're going to look through and see how God's kingdom does indeed show up on nearly every page of Scripture. We're going to seek to see God's kingdom here so that we'll know how to see God's kingdom here. So today, we have the fun task of moving relatively quickly through the entire Old Testament, so stick with me. We're going to take kind of a 30,000-foot view, overview of how God's kingdom is shaped in the Old Testament in approximately under 30 minutes. So to give you a preview, at least to know what you're listening for as we take this uh, view through, I'm going to tell you ahead of time what I want you to take away from this message, and it's this. First, everyone you meet was created in the image of God. Second, everyone you meet has a deep-seated tendency to resist God's kingdom. And third... Despite our resistance, God never stops pursuing us, never stops seeking our restoration and the restoration of God's kingdom. So we'll jump into all three of those. So last week, again, as we began, as we introduced the whole vision statement, I shared a definition of the kingdom of God that comes from the theologian Dallas Willard. He defines the kingdom of God as the range of God's effective will. That is to say, the kingdom of God is wherever God's will is done. It is the sphere in which everything that happens meets with God's approval and God's delight. That's the picture that gets painted in Genesis 1. When God created the world, what God made was a kingdom. And before sin entered the world, everything in creation met with God's great approval and God's delight. So as the story begins, we enter into what biblical scholar N.T. Wright characterizes as God's plan A. 
Starting with creation, we're in God's plan A for God's kingdom. God rules the world through God's elected people. God is still the one and only king. God is the creator. That's how the story begins. But as creator, with God as king, God does something amazingly radical. God shares his rule with Adam and Eve. Did you pick up on that in the reading? In Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. In the ancient world, it was common practice for kings or, or emperors to erect statues, images, so to speak, of themselves and, and place those statues in the territories over which they ruled. The goal of these images was to provide physical reminders of the people in those places of who their king was and the power that that king had. So in any given land, we're a person to wonder, who, who's in charge here? Who's the king? And what is that king like? All they have to do is look at the statue, to look at that image, and they'd have their answer. So the amazing thing about our creation story is that as king over all creation, God bestows God's image on humans. Humans are given the privilege and responsibility to represent God here on earth. As God's image bearers, we are given the task to rule for God as we rule under God. As I think about kind of how all this works, I, I typically am more of a words person than a picture person, but kind of a, a picture, an, an org chart came to mind, so to speak, for me to figure out all of this. And so I wanted to share that with you. It starts with God on the top. God alone is king. And the way God establishes his kingdom is to create humankind to rule under God. And there's a pattern set forth here. The way that God rules over us is the way that we are to rule over creation. So the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing upon the earth. God rules us, and God gives us power to rule over creation. But again, it's not this kind of top-down, everything-for-me kind of way of rulership that we would think. In the way that God created us, it's meant to be this kind of interconnected, interdependent web of relationship with one another. God gives us life, so we give life to creation. God seeks our best, providing all that's needed for our flourishing. And so, in turn, we do the same for all creation. We give our best to creation. Creation gives its best to us. And we all return all of our best back to God, our King. God's kingdom, as God created it, it's this beautiful system of self-giving, other-serving, everyone-flourishing mutuality and care. If you've ever been to the symphony, you can get a sense of how this works. You've seen a picture of the kingdom of God in the symphony. In the symphony, you have this amazingly diverse combination of instruments. You have strings and woodwinds, brass and percussion, instruments that sound similar, instruments that sound different, but they are all working together toward one common goal, to make a beautiful sound. And they're all taking orders from one person, from the conductor. The conductor's in charge, but he or she could, could never do it alone. The conductor needs every person in that symphony to play their part to make the music happen. 
It's like this in God's kingdom. Every person you meet is a player in the symphony. Every person you meet is created in the image of God. Every single human who's ever walked the face of this earth was made to represent God, our King. Every person on this earth is meant to give a picture of what God is like. Now, the fact that the world doesn't always work like this, the fact that the world doesn't always feel like a beautiful symphony is due to something called sin. And sin is plenty important, and we're going to get to it in a minute. But the first thing we need to understand about God and humanity and the kingdom of God isn't about sin, but it's about this wonderful mystery of how you and I and the people that you love and the people that you're sitting next to and the people that annoy the heck out of you, all of them, all of us were created in the image of God. We were created by God. We were created for God, all of us. So that means at least, at least two things. First and foremost, it means that every person you meet is of infinite value and worth. Every single one of us. Every person is valuable simply because they exist. And second, and perhaps more importantly for our purposes, it means that every person you meet was created to represent God. You're valuable because you exist, and you get to represent God as you exist. So to be made in the image of God means that you're made to exercise dominion, authority, over your own sphere of influence, wherever you may be. And you're meant to do it as God would have you do it, as God did, with God's power, in God's stead, for the benefit of the earth, so that all the earth might know who rules over it. It is God's will that through us, through our learning, through our culture, through our relationships, through technology, through the arts, through medicine, through all of these things, God has given those spheres of influence to us so that we can show God through us. So if you're a teacher, Teach diligently. Diligently seek the best for every student that God has given into your care. If you're a lawyer, do so with honesty, seeking justice. If you're a doctor, practice with compassion for your patients. In every sphere of influence that we are given, we are to act and lead with humility, adding goodness and beauty to our families, to our neighborhoods, to societies, to nations, to people who are hungry and homeless or have no education, everywhere we go so that God's whole project becomes just this glorious picture of delight and generosity and righteousness to all who see it. That is how God made us. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. Plan A, again, kind of looking at the story, plan A still continues beyond Genesis 1 into Genesis 3. And those of us who've been around church for a while know that Genesis 3 where things start, are where things start to get a little messy. That's where sin 
comes in, and that's where we also learn the second truth I want you to take away from this message today. Not only is every person made in the image of God, but every person you meet, all of us, we have this deep-seated tendency to resist God's kingship. We see how it starts in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. The Bible tells us, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say that you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the plot twist in plan A. Adam and Eve, though they have been given the task to rule under God, they decide they'd rather be like God. Instead of accepting their assignment to be godly, they decide we'd rather be God-like. Essentially, instead of playing their part within the divine symphony, humankind decided we wanted to play the whole thing ourselves. Instead of sub-ruling within God's kingdom, human beings decided that we wanted to rule over our own kingdoms. See, if God's kingdom is the range of God's effective will. Well, my kingdom is the range of my effective will. And most people start claiming their kingdoms at a very early age. Think about any two-year-old you might have ever known. What's their first favorite word? What'd you guess? No. That comes so quickly. And very soon after, it falls another favorite word. Mine. That's kingdom language. On long car trips, when our kids are consigned to the torture of being forced to sit in the back seat with their siblings, they they sometimes will do a thing where they will draw invisible lines down that row, and they say, here lies my kingdom, and you shall not cross. But dad, as they begin to cross one another's kingdoms and begin shouting about the unfairness of it all. Dad knows the car is his kingdom, and so he reaches back into theirs to let them know where they stand, making mostly idle threats that he will turn that kingdom right around. (laughs) My kingdom is the range of my effective will. It is the sphere where things go the way I want them to. Starting with Adam and Eve, and every human being that has lived ever since. We've been trying to take God's place as king. We've been trying to build our own kingdoms. A friend of mine told me a story once as she and her family went on a walk up a path that took them up into the hills, the family and the dog walking together, and they passed by a house that was on that path, and a man came out, seemingly friendly, asked them their dog's name, so they began to talk, and all of a sudden, he just burst forth screaming at them that they were on private property, and he just started swearing a blue streak at them to to get off their property lest they lose their lives. Whose kingdom was this man living in? 
that man was living in what might be called the kingdom of self. This is my kingdom, and I will guard it, I won't share it, and if you violate it, I'll kill you. To greater or lesser extents, every person you meet in every human heart, there's a deep-seated tendency to try to set up our own kingdom, to put ourselves on the throne instead of God. So this all fits in with the Old Testament sphere plan A we're still in. It extends from Abraham and Eve all the way to, through Abraham up to Samuel. And in plan A, God is ruling through God's people Israel. But he's ruling them directly. There's no intermediary. But halfway through the Old Testament, something shifts. And that's where we move to plan B. And that story is recorded in 1 Samuel 8. See, Samuel had been one of God's appointed kind of sub-leaders. He was a prophet. He spoke on God's behalf to the people. But the people were not satisfied with this arrangement. They didn't like this idea that, that they had to just answer to God alone. And so here's what happens. We're at 1 Samuel 8, starting at verse 4. So that all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us, then, a king to govern us, like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Let's be clear, this is not what God wanted. And God knew it would not go well. So God told Samuel to, to warn the people of what would happen if they got the human king that they claimed that they wanted. So starting back at verse 11, he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to be his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Well, despite the warnings, 
The people of Israel got what they said they wanted. They got their human king. So then, now, starting in the book of 1 Samuel and all the way through the remainder of the Old Testament, we're living now in God's plan B. God's still king, but God is now ruling through a human king. From this point on, through the rest of this Old Testament story, God's focus is on David and his descendants who are acting as Israel's human rulers. But let's be clear, their kingdom was never meant to be their own. They would rule, but only on God's behalf. But if you read the Old Testament, you know, you know how this turns out. Because every person you meet has a deep-seated tendency to resist God's kingship, even and perhaps especially those kings. Over and over again, those earthly kings, they forgot that they were not, in fact, God. So they forgot their place. They forsook their God and they fought to grab and hold on to power, any piece of power that they could get their hands on. And it didn't work out so well for them, for them, for Israel, or for anybody. Because remember that the beauty of Genesis 1, when everyone and everything was all working together for, for the good under the kingship of God, remember that beautiful system of self-giving, others serving, everyone flourishing, mutuality and care? Well, when humans try to take the crown for ourselves, it doesn't work out so well. When our prayer and our pursuits become my kingdom come instead of thy kingdom come, all of this, all the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, the plants and animals and trees and, and other human beings while we're at it, we all become, uh, we see it as, well, that's part of my kingdom. All of this exists for me and, and, and for my good, however I see fit. So for the people under the leadership of corrupt, power-hungry kings, as they turned away from the kingship of God, God allows them to experience the consequences of their actions. Other nations come in and, and take over. The people of Israel are exiled. The city of Jerusalem is overrun and, and burned to the ground. And all the people can do as they are exiles, foreigners living in a foreign land, all they can do is lament. All they can do is repent and begin to hope. They begin to have this sliver of hope that maybe someday they might be restored to their former glory as God's chosen people. Maybe that human king wasn't a good idea after all. Maybe God might be our king once more. And that's where things stand at the end of the Old Testament story. Again, plan A was God's will for the world. God creates the world and bestows God's image on every human being. God rules over the world with Israel governing on God's behalf. But because the people were so prone to sin, so tempted to try and take God's place, they decide they want a human king like all the other nations. So plan A takes a divine detour to plan B where God accommodates Israel's selfish desire. But it is during plan B, that this hope, this memory arises for the return to plan A, for God to rule over Israel once more with no human king. And spoiler alert for next week, as this hope begins to move forward, the prophets begin to see the coming of a servant king. 
an entirely different kind of king, a king who redeems by way of suffering, who rules by way of redemption. That king is coming. More about that next week. But that does lead to my third, final, and very brief point. That despite our resistance, God never stops pursuing us. God never stops seeking our restoration and the restoration of God's kingdom. Several years ago, when I had more time on my hands, I think, I thought I was going to, very smart, I thought I was going to be very smart and outsmart the system, such as it were, and make my own Christmas cards. Because I'm stick it to the man, they charge us so much money, those people that you send the picture to and they send you the picture card, I'm going to like, ah, I can do better, I can save money, I could design the card myself, I could print it, I could cut it, I could then, you know, stuff it in the envelopes and send it out, I'll be totally fine, what could possibly go wrong? Everything. Everything. I mean, like the computer program I was trying to use to design the car card wasn't working. And then I, I, I kind of got that to work, and then I took it to, to get printed, and like they were smearing through the printer, so our faces were not looking quite right. And then I took them to the cutter, and the cutter was like gotten all wonky. I mean, nothing. These Christmas cards were resisting my kingship. They would not comply with my rule. So you know what I did with those Christmas cards? I threw them all away. <laughs> I just said, we're done with them. Like 500 cards I'd designed, I'd printed, I'd cut because they were so wonky, they were so smeary, they were so just not quite right. I gave up. And I threw them all in the recycling. And that year I sent out a digital Christmas card, a.k.a. I posted a picture on Facebook. Merry Christmas. It is a wonder to me that God has not done the same thing with us. Despite our wonkiness, our smeariness, our infernal insistence to do things our way, making us not quite right, despite all that, God doesn't throw us out. Despite our resistance, God never stops pursuing us, seeking our restoration and the restoration of God's kingdom. Yes, plan A went awry. Plan B didn't work, but God's not done yet. God's kingdom will come. God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't want to spoil the next four weeks for you now, but there is one word, there is one name that tells us how God does it. And we're in church, so you all know the right answer. It's the one answer that's always the right answer in church. It's Jesus. In Jesus, God's kingdom has come. Through Jesus, God's will is done. And with Jesus, we will see God's kingdom come in the Naperville area and beyond. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.